up, people? I'm your host, Dylan Fox. Welcome to a new edition of Wrestle Update. I'm going solo this week as Nello is on assignment. By on assignment, I mean he's very busy <laughs> at the moment. Uh, this episode, I'm going to try to accomplish as much as I can with it. It has been a little while since our last Wrestle Update. We did have a crime update with Nello on it. If you want to hear more of him, he's talking about indie wrestling and, and stuff that he was at live as well. Our last episode was with me and my sister, Cheyenne. We had an episode talking about NXT Vengeance Day, which we both were at live. But this week will be a true update. Uh, we will be back with a show covering Elimination Chamber uh, in its full complexity after it happens, a full review show. But And well, we do have plan on somebody who is attending the show live. Uh, so we will see if that comes to pass as well. But the plans are in place, at least for it. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. This week's episode will not be as lighthearted as, obviously, the first thing we have to talk about. And the thing that I do think is important to talk about, obviously, you know, this is one of those things that may be hard to listen to as well. And, and I totally respect that. Uh, feel free to skip ahead, uh, you know, until to the next part of the show. If you would like to do that, if it's too much for you, I totally understand. But with the allegations, I do feel that it is important to talk about them and, and truly give an update on this serious subject to the best of my own abilities as well. And hopefully respectively to everybody involved, I will say as well. Yeah, this is something that I will get into it a little bit, how prevalent it is in all of entertainment, but can happen to anybody out there. Uh, and if you are a victim, I will shout out some resources here for you guys. Uh, if there is any anyone out there that's been a victim and, and, you know, God bless anybody who has been through any of these horrible things. It's something that's played a pivotal role in my life and the people I've known uh, in their lives as well. Uh, this sort of thing. But if you are a sexual assault victim, uh, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Uh, 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673. You have uh, the great organizations RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, dot org, and Sakita dot org as well. Uh, all for sexual assault victims. If you want some more resources there and some help. Uh, and please do get some help if you need it. Uh, you know, I, I would definitely advise that. Uh, everybody deserves help when they need it. And uh, just know that anybody who's gone through this is in my prayers sincerely. But this isn't about uh, anybody on this show. Uh, we are going to talk about the some claims made recently. Uh, again, I will advise you a, a trigger warning if you are sensitive to this subject. Please feel free to skip ahead. Later on, we will I will preview and predict. I get I did get some predictions from Nello. We will talk about Elimination Chamber at the end of the show. Uh, and it won't be uh, you know so tr so triggering, but I will cover it because I do think it's very very important. I know it's very very important to cover it. And a lot's happened since we last talked about it. We did cover this when the lawsuit broke. Me and Nello had a long discussion about this uh, situation. And if you aren't aware, uh, Miss Janelle Grant filed a lawsuit against Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis, and WWE with claims of sexual assault, emotional abuse, and sex trafficking. 
and this is a story that's really been talked about by so many sources. Uh, you know, and I'm not trying to take away from anybody. It's a very good thing. Anybody who's tried to cover it uh, in good faith to the best of their abilities as well, uh, which is a very important thing. Uh, you know, uh, you know, sometimes with the, the wrestling reporters and even the global media, I think that was something we talked about on the last show, too, that a lot of times the mainstream, quote unquote, media gets a little bit put on a pedestal when they really shouldn't actually um, in terms of their coverage of these sorts of things. But uh, we have seen some good reporting from multiple sources and at least people attempting to do their best and maybe some people that aren't always equipped for it best equipped for it. But we have to say that a lot has happened since that lawsuit has come out. The first thing I want to mention, the you just listened to what I heard. The right away, the people involved uh, of this lawsuit, uh, that were listed in this lawsuit, excuse me, uh, that were... Uh, not charged, but obviously they brought the lawsuit forward for these people. It said Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis, and WWE. All three, not just Vince, but all three subjects were named in the lawsuit. There's been some information that has come out, or, you know, some stories that have come out, and some talks from some people involved, and people close to people involved, <laughs> with uh, numerous subjects that we'll get into here. The first thing that came out was pretty quickly after this lawsuit came about, um, probably around the very start of the month, John Laurinaitis came out. Uh, again, one of the defendants of the lawsuit I listed with Vince and WWE as a, as a whole. So, it said that uh, John Laurinaitis, his lawyer, uh, this man, Edward Brennan, he was contacted, sourced by Vice News, uh, reached out to him, and he uh, issued a statement uh, saying that, and I'll quote here, Mr. Laurinaitis denies the allegations in the misguided complaint and will be vigorously defending these charges in court, not the media. Like the plaintiff, Mr. Laurinaitis is also a victim in this case, not a predator. The truth will come out. They followed up uh, asking if uh, Vince was the predator and Laurinaitis was a victim. What did he mean by that? Brennan responded by saying this next quote, I will read, quote, read the allegations, read the federal statute, power, control, employment, supervisory capacity, dictatorial sexual demands with repercussions if not met. Count how many times in the complaint Vince exerts control over both of them. These statements, uh, you know, were ran around uh, all over the media and things like that. Uh, everybody was talking about them. And it's one of those things where you can't you can't completely rule out that there's not some truth to this statement. But that still doesn't take away from the fact that he's committed many crimes. Uh, he, you cannot deny that he was not a part of all of this at a very deep and disturbing and criminal level, quite frankly. Could he have felt pressure for Vince McMahon? It's possible. It's possible he could have thought about his job with all of this. 
but that is no excuse for his actions. Uh, at least for me, I don't know. Again, we have to recognize, I talked about it earlier, there are some people that aren't always equipped to deal with everything. And this one, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the ins and outs of the legal system. I only know what I see and what I believe in my morals and all of that. Um, you know, I don't know how they would possibly be able to prove such a thing in court. I suppose uh, the uh, plaintiff would have to answer that. The, the the victim in all of this would have to answer that herself uh, in the courtroom. And whether she f f feels that way or not, I don't want to speculate at all because this is such a serious charge. All of these charges uh, are so just, you know, not to be trifled with at all. You know, we have to really be careful because this is such a sensitive subject. So no one can say for sure if he didn't feel pressure, if Vince didn't um, exert control over everybody under him, including him, uh, if he didn't fear for his job, if he didn't do what he wanted. Um, it's definitely p possible that that's a possibility. It's also possible that as I think a lot of people reading that their first instinct is to kind of see and think of this as an attempt to say, you know, save himself and try to get out of this. I mean, again, these are extremely serious charges that are leveled against him as well as Vince. You know, Vince is, gets a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the, the publicity. But Vince, John Laurinaitis, and WWE were all listed in this, in this lawsuit. So we have to keep that in mind. That these are very serious subjects. At this point, it does feel a bit like, you know, you could see why people would take things that way. Uh, you know, I, and I, I don't know... The legal system, again, I don't know how this will play out. It feels like this would have to be on the plaintiff <laughs> to answer, like, if any of that's true. In the 67-page report, it didn't feel like it was painted that way at all, that uh, Laurinaitis was not, you know, a criminal, to say the least, in these charges. Just, again, based on the 67-page uh, public filing. It doesn't read that way to me. I, you know, I definitely, again, I have my own opinion that, you know, I don't really believe what he's saying fully. I definitely don't believe it absolves him from responsibility or culpability. But I can understand why that is a, a legitimate angle to take and something that is possible. But I, you know, until we get a further, you know, this process takes another step. The one thing you do have to say about this 
this really muddies the water for Vince McMahon. To have Laurinaitis turn on him, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, that really opens the door for a lot. Earlier, it seemed like, you know, a lot of people speculated that this could just be a settlement, <laughs> you know, out of court to try and make this all go away. And maybe he goes off and takes whatever to his grave. Now with this out, with Laurinaitis, this really seems like this could end up going to trial, which is going to open up so much for Vince, Laurinaitis, WWE, and so many people. And I do think this is a step in that direction, which I think is, is unquestionably a good thing. Because, you know, you want everyone, you want justice to come for everybody involved in this. And I think that's what most of, you know, most of the people want. If anybody was guilty and a part of this horrible, horrible situation. And these horrible sex crimes that were committed. There needs to be justice. These people cannot just walk away. And live a comfortable life for that. And I do think that this was a step forward in that. And obviously, there's still a long way to go in all of this. This is not something that's just going to be wrapped up tomorrow. This is not going to be something that just goes away in a week. And it's understandable because of many past circumstances why people might think that might happen. But in this case, with the names involved, the big names involved, the depravity of things that we've seen um, in the lawsuit itself that was public, the things that have come out, and I'm going to talk about some things in a second as well that have spun off from this and came out. There's so much more that we don't know about. That's the scary part about all this. Is that there's so much we don't know about. With all of this. And hopefully this will all shine a light to it. What's done in the dark will hopefully come to light. And I think that's what everybody would like to see. Uh, justice for this victim and the many other victims that haven't even stepped forward yet. That's another thing. There's so many victims of these things that's been talked about. And again, <laughs> I will bring that up uh, shortly uh, that also need justice as well. Not even the plaintiff in this case, just remember that this is a legal matter and it's something that will not be going away. Seth Rollins got a question about it at the WrestleMania press conference. Uh, and he gave a quote, quote, it's a crap situation. I said it in that interview on radio row. It sucks. It's horrible. It's disgusting. I don't like hearing about it, reading about it. It's abhorrent. I hope if the allegations are accurate, I hope anybody involved with it gets what's coming to them. It sucks. For me, it's very difficult because I didn't see that side of him. I didn't experience that. When you see stuff like that, it's jarring and it's painful. It sucks all around. There's just no other way to say it. 
it sucks. It really sucks. End quote. I think that it's tough uh, in these situations too. Because we do have to remember, and I, and I, there's a lot of people, and again, I will get into this. There's a lot of people that haven't been named or are just now coming out uh, that know about a lot of what's going on. Or what has went on, excuse me. What has went on and these things that have come about. And I can understand from a public standpoint, people wanting to find every name right away. Trying to point some fingers. But if you look at this quote from Seth here, I think what he said is, again, we don't know everything. We can't say for certainty what the truth is with anybody, practically. Anything's a possibility with a, a circumstance just like this. But what he said really seems credible to me. Not everybody knew what was going on either. And a lot of the wrestlers probably did never see such a, an abhorrent side of him. For all intents and purposes, there's a lot there. And we talked about it. Yeah, me and Nello did on the other show. <laughs> like, if you really look at Vince. A lot of stuff that were red flags. And should have been really looked into a lot more. Got let slide over the years. Um, And that's uh, something you really have to think about. But that doesn't mean every single person knew about it. Every single wrestler on the roster knew about it. You know? So, we really have to be careful about not just pointing the finger at every single person. Uh, you know, in, in whoever, you know, wrestled in WWE, pretty much. Uh, you know, not everybody knew. And, and yeah, there's some people that definitely knew. There's a lot of people that have not come out. And some that are not even in the lawsuit. But there are some people that definitely knew. But we cannot say that for sure. And definitely not everybody knew either. So we have to really be careful about making it, you know, unsubstantiated speculation. <laughs> I like that. Uh, with no proof or evidence, so to speak. So uh, hopefully we can all remember that as well. And... With that said, there was a recent interview on News Nation as well with Kara Papia, who was purported to be Ashley Massaro's friend. Ashley's daughter has disputed that she was uh, Ashley's friend at the time of her unfortunate death. Ashley Massaro obviously tragically uh, committed suicide in 2019. Um... So this person got in under false pretenses. I don't know the story. It literally just happened as I'm recording. But she's downplayed. Uh, Ashley's daughter has downplayed their friendship. She didn't dispute the claims. But you do take that with a grain of salt with what she did. But she did have an interview talking about Ashley on there. If you guys want to look it up on the News Nation channel. But even more worth looking at 
is the dispute between the original statement made by WWE. When all this was going down, they claimed that Ashley Massaro never contacted contacted Vince McMahon or anybody within the company about a rape, drugging, or sodomy that happened during the WWE's Goodwill Tour of Kuwait in 2007. If she had, they would have taken it to the authorities um, at the base itself, you know, the base authorities. They made this statement. And now, after this interview comes out, um, you know, regardless of anything, John Laurinaitis confirms, or John Laurinaitis lawyer confirms that he, and this is the exact words, like most upper-level management knew about this, but they dispute the idea of a cover-up and that Laurinaitis was part of it. He claimed that, that they followed WWE protocols, whatever that means. It clearly clearly didn't help enough. It, whatever they followed wasn't good enough to stop this terrible thing that happened that could have been prevented. But the main thing that's said is that according to John Laurinaitis' lawyer, most upper-level management knew. That is not what was said in the statement that WWE released back then. So this leads to upper-level management. Who, who does that include? And this is where we now have evidence, or at least, in the very least, a contradicting statement from the WWE itself in years past that calls into question these claims that we've seen from the WWE itself back then. Before, when people were trying to find out who knew what and all of that, we didn't have anything really other than, obviously, our logic. But this is a, du- a direct quote from a lawyer involved with one of the defendants. You know, it's, it's such a shame. You know, it's, it's such a shame uh, that this was ever allowed to happen. It, it could have been prevented. It could have been prevented. A situation like this could have been helped, could have been handled so much better. And maybe Ashley would still be here. And it's so sad. It's so sad that so many people were so focused on their careers and their reputations and everything, everything except for these victims. And again, it's not, you can't just put it all on one person. This is a culture. The lawyer said it, most upper level management. And this is about one particular situation. The stuff with Janelle Grant was another situation. What about all the other NDAs and the victims that that are out there and that are noted? Dating all the way back, decades, and one other thing, one last part of this topic I, I will talk about and speak on here was, uh, again, uh, News Nation, uh, Ashley Benfield had another interview on about this, uh, this time with Paul Roma, who is a former wrestler, his time was really big you know, in the early 90s, late 80s. You know, as mainly a tag team guy. <laughs> you know, his biggest run was probably when he was with the Four Horsemen uh, in WCW. And he's kind of like looked at as one of the worst Four, four Horsemen guys. But you also you also have his run uh, with Power and Glory, which a lot of people really liked. 
Uh, the powerplex is still there. Pretty wonderful with uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Paul Orndorf, and he really found himself as a tag team specialist. You know, he's gone through historical things as kind of not looked positively as a wrestler, but they kind of looked upon a little bit better. <laughs> he found his way as a tag worker. I was a fan of uh, Pretty Wonderful and Power and Glory. Obviously, they're they kind of predate my time. Power and Glory happened before I was even born. But still, I have watched a lot of their matches, and I was a fan. Uh, this obviously has nothing to do with his skill as a wrestler or his placement on the card, but he, he was a guy that was around, you know. And he was in WWF for a few years, you know. And on News Nation, Ashley Benfield asked whether the allegations sounded like Vince McMahon, the one that he knew. Yeah, this was this was if you've seen the clip that was going around Twitter Twitter, it's about five minutes X, you know, at this point. Um if you've seen the five minute interview, it's pretty hard to watch. Uh just in so many ways. But they get in depth on it. Roma says, quote, Yes, it was pretty regular. You heard about it on a regular basis for the most part. <laughs> then you would hear it for a while, then it would come full circle. But it wasn't so much Vince as it was the people he had surrounding him. You're talking about an industry where you have young, good-looking, well-built men in the ring. Half-naked, three-quarters naked, actually. So yeah, it left the door open. He had a lot of people around, vice presidents and bookers, that were very much into that. They put you in a really bad situation. Especially once you started making some money, you kind of get comfortable with it, and then you find out that your job's on the line. Either do it, or get fired. I witnessed quite a few that walked away. Money wasn't worth it for them to go that route, so to speak. And then she kind of followed up saying, what What are you talking about? What happened to make these people want to walk away and they would quote they were asked to do things sexual things with other men that they did not want to do my former partner being one of them I was actually in a cab and a ride in Washington and we were coming back and the gentleman next to me kept saying it's not worth it it's not worth the Benjamins I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, it's not worth it. I'm like, what are you talking about? What's not worth it? He just said, it's not worth it. We got back to the hotel. The next day we were filming for our second TV taping and he was home. He jumped on a flight and went back home and never showed up again to wrestle. He had an unfortunate accident, hit his head and passed away while he was asleep. She then asked uh, whether uh, this person told him what was not worth it. And Roma said, uh, quote, he didn't tell me who. He just told me what. To do what they wanted him, wanted him to do. Sexual favors. One of my former partners, when I was part of the Young Stallions, he was propositioned and he said he went to one of the agents and told him what had happened. I said, 
Why would you do that? You just ratted out both of us. So he kind of threw us both under the bus. Rum was, was asked whether the person in the cab told him if he was propositioned by executives. And, Ro- and Roma said, quote, well, look at it this way. That's all it could be. If someone's going to give you money, it has to be that. There's nothing else. It's not going to be one of the boys that you're wrestling with. They're not going to offer you money. Even my former partner, same thing. They offered him money, drugs, just lay on your back. You don't have to do a thing, which is such a gross thing to read, man. And and say out loud, I I feel really uncomfortable uh, reading this, actually. I apologize. It just shows you how little that whoever they is thought of their own wrestlers. Thought of them as people. Like, no respect for any kind of bodily autonomy here. Just disgusting. Anyway. Quote, he came running right to me when I came into TV. I said, dude, what are you going to do? He said, oh, I already spoke to Arnold. (laughs) I said, why would you do that? You just killed our team. What do you think he's going to do? He's just going to go to the people that propositioned you. What do you think is going to happen to them? Nothing. And obviously talking about the Young Stallions, that was a team with him and Jim Powers. And they kind of, again, this was a little before my time, uh, but and they weren't, uh, I didn't watch them as much just as a fan as maybe like, you know, Power and Glory and all that. But he is a guy that continued on. You know, you, you look at Powers, he lasted, when was his last match with WWF? Here. I'm looking at it right now, trying to find out. He lasted a few more years after this now, according to Cage Match. 1994. Still working house shows. In 94. His last televised televised match was a match, it looks like, with Quang uh, in 94. Uh, Superstars, very quick squash match. Mainly an enhancement talent, it looks like, for most of this run. Uh, he continued on. Uh, wrestled at WCW later on as well, uh, all the way until late 98. Made a return in the late 2000s like many people did, but uh, he did continue on, you know, with all of that. You know, he he never got any kind of push like he was with the Young Stylings, obviously. Maybe like an enhancement talent, he never got a big push after that. But man. They talked about... Um, because there was um, a story that came out with Mario Mancini, who was another enhancement talent um, in, in the WWF at the time, obviously. And it was mentioned here that there's a story that Mario knows of and Paul Roma as well, who is his friend who got questioned on this show on News Nation. 
that there is an incident that's you know they know of that's even worse than the accusations or the allegations that were in the lawsuit, the public lawsuit from Janelle Grant. And, you know, sorry, guys, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with this, but uh, they um, they talked about it on the show and they asked him, they said, can you, uh, she asked, um, she asked Paul Roma, Uh, on Banfield, Banfield asked Paul Roma, asking, can you tell us, you know, can you tell us what that incident was? And he said, he got a little nervous and all this, and he said, I really shouldn't right now, but yes, I do know what it is, and it is worse. Mario, Mario and I are really surprised. We spoke about it, and we're surprised that no one's come forward. But on the flip side, I think that they're at an they're of an age now. They they don't want to open up Pandora's box. I can't blame them. Would you really want to open this up? This can of worms? No, you wouldn't want to open it up. Quote unquote. That wasn't me saying that. That was them. Um. And again, this is another video. Uh, you could look at the, the News Nation YouTube channel. This is a video uh, on YouTube of it. You can watch the full interview. Again, it's kind of just hard to watch, to be honest, uh, talking about this. And the the way he's like not emotional at all, like the way he's not emotional at all about all of this, it's so casual. It was just it was just seen as one of those things, right? And back back then, back in the late eighties and early nineties, and there. Were some steps made, surely, hopefully, and yet how many were there made? Because we're talking about this Janelle Grant thing that happened just a few years ago. And allegedly there's even worse. <laughs> there's even worse to be said. And that's so scary to think about. One final thing to mention on all of this after this lawsuit coming out, <laughs> with people mentioned, <laughs> allegedly mentioned, and so on and so forth, there's been a new website that's been set up. And it's the, the address of the website is www.settlements.com. It's been set up for people who were sexually assaulted, made to feel uncomfortable, or witnessed sexual abuse by Vince McMahon or anyone from WWE slash UFC. And now, UFC was not listed in the Janelle Grant lawsuit, but they are linked together from a legal standpoint. As members of TKO, they are always going to be linked together, and now they're linked together in this way, which this this is a problem for some people in the UFC, people in TKO. And you can, can see that this is going in a way that... You know, it's been rumored. We've heard the reports. We've read reports that with how they, like this group, with Ari Emanuel has read UFC, it's been said if they think anybody is a threat, anybody could be a risk, anybody could be a liability, they won't hesitate to get rid of them. 
which makes you wonder if that's true, if that has been said and stated. It's not like it's been stated as a fact, but it's just been speculated that's the case. <laughs> if that's so true, why is it that they had Ari Emanuel sat with Vince McMahon? First day that they had the merger, told him, no, I would never let you not be a part of this. After we knew that things had been said, things had been found out in the emails between Vince and the others, the, the people in WWE, some of the executives ended up leaving. He was already a liability. And yet, they put him you know, they put him there for whatever reason. He was such a major part of it. And now you see this website come out and, and this could be a Pandora's box because we've heard it from multiple people that there's worse stuff out there that has not come to light yet. But could this be the thing that sets things up? Could one person coming forward with something? Could that open the doors for a, a floodgate, so to speak? Almost the same time as the Paul Roma interview came out, there was an interview with Sean. It was performed by Lee Cole, who is the brother of Tom Cole, a former ring boy that uh, accused Mel Phillips and Terry Garvin uh, to have inappropriate sexual relations uh, with underage boys. As well as an accusation against Pat Patterson as well. Unfortunately, Tom committed suicide a, a few years ago as well. Rest in peace to Tom Cole. God rest his soul as well. His brother has pushed forward and set up this interview with um, someone named Sean, who is a, a, a man now fully grown. Now, obviously, <laughs> um, all these years later. And this is another interview, uh, part one, technically. There should be a part two coming out. But reading it, uh, I'm not going to like go direct into quotes or anything too deep into it, but he was talking about Mel Phillips, um, incidents in the hotel room, wrestling around him in his underwear, mentioning that you know, there was the Mel Phillips that was the ring announcer and gave you money and quote, once the hotel door shuts, hotel, hotel door room shuts, it's a little different. Talking about things with feet and things like that that he had, which, um, you know, he mentioned Terry Garvin uh, talking about he, he was big, but how he really gave him the creeps. He mentioned how negatively a lot of the people in WWF at the time reacted when he mentioned wanting to go into law enforcement, which uh, he did later on. There's a lot there talking about it. I don't want to get into the huge specifics again, super in depth. It reminded me a lot. And this is something that again, me and Nello talked about it quite a bit on when we covered it before this stuff, especially talking about the feed. If you know this story, uh, you definitely know why, but the stuff with Nickelodeon and Dan Schneider, 
there were tons of <laughs> inappropriate things that came out with him, the creator of <laughs> like a tons of of legendary Nickelodeon shows. <laughs> you know, all that. Uh, Drake and Josh, iCarly, Keenan and Kel. Uh, you know, he was behind all of those. And there's stories about him doing some really, really bad stuff, unsavory things. To say the least. And if you guys uh, remember, there's a podcast out right now. It just released uh, yesterday, actually, as I'm recording. Uh, Pod Meets World, which is a show about Boy Meets World, a show from the 90s uh, into the early 2000s, I believe. And they just had an episode on about this actor or whatever producer guy. Uh, His name was Brian Peck. And he was somebody that went to jail, was convicted of sexual abuse, and went to jail for it. And they did a whole episode on on him, their relationship, and it was quite an uh, uh, (laughs) intense uh, episode. Yeah, they were stars. The people hosting the show were stars of uh, Boy Meets World at the time. And this guy, Brian Peck, was, you know, on for a few episodes. Uh, But still, uh, you know, he was a big part of that. Worked with kids again. And it reminded me of the Mel Phillips thing. He was fired, but then hired again by WWF. Uh, Just with, quote unquote, the caveat to not, you know, stay away from the kids. (laughs) They would joke about this stuff on air at times. All kinds of accusations against these people. Pat Patterson, <laughs> they would make comments on. It was like right there, Brian Peck. He was a, if you guys never have seen this movie, <laughs> there's a movie out there <laughs> called the open secret, which goes really, really adept uh, in terms of Hollywood <laughs> abuse and sexual parties and like grooming from these young. Uh, I think all of the ones on the Open Secret were male actors. Um, that just all kinds of really really sick stuff happened. And this is another thing that, that had me thinking about this when the the Poppy's World episode came out. This whole world is like. It's such a dark place. And I'm like Nello. On the last episode, he mentioned he wanted everything, like burn the whole thing down, (laughs) completely clean house, which I agree with. I totally agree with. If it were up to me, I get it that Triple H has his fans, but to me, you need a complete reset of the company. These accusations from multiple different generations and many more that we don't know about. Like, I do believe that you need to wipe the slate clean in WWE. But in this world, then what? Who's to say that you can't find somebody that's even worse? These people in Hollywood. So, so many people have, you know, done so many terrible things. and So many victims have been, you know, just preyed upon by these people with power. And obviously, hopefully, they have so many regulations in place 
in WWE. Hopefully people who are not the the kind of people that Vince McMahon was, the troubled people, the the predators and the the horrible horrible things that he was capable of and that many people could be capable of in Hollywood if you give them power or entertainment or music. So many things that you could point to. It's just out of control. And it's scary for me to think about, even if they do what I want and what I think should happen, what I think is the right thing to do, which is to clean house. All new staff, people that have been away from this culture. And again, that's that's my problem. It's not I'm not pointing the finger at Triple H or making accusations to people who aren't named, but it's the culture. That's the problem. It's a bigger issue than just one or two or three or a dozen people. It's bigger than that. I believe that. And it's scary to think that even that wouldn't be enough. If it's if things fall into the wrong hands, if the wrong person gets power, if the wrong people get power, and if people know about stuff but they never say anything about it until they have to, or they think they have to to protect themselves, it's a scary, scary world we live in, and a, a terrible situation, just a terrible situation right now. And again, it's really affected um, any kind of enjoyment I can get out of WWE or, or even AEW or. Like I said, with these things coming out, these details coming out, there's nothing that feels right to enjoy in entertainment right now. The best I can do is with video games, you know? And even then, there's all kinds of stuff that have come about with, you know, sexism and all kinds of stuff and people meddling and people being overworked and God knows what else. Uh, you know, it's just that's like the the on their own are all bad things. But when you see stuff like this with WWE, you see stuff with these people in Hollywood. You know, it's just like, how deep does this go? How insidious is it in our world? Let alone just one company. It's even bigger than a company issue now. It might be bigger than a whole country issue at this point. And I just, it's scary to think about. And the best we can hope for right now is justice for these victims. And I do hope that there are a lot of changes. I do think that website I mentioned, <laughs> www.settlements.com, that could be a real, a real tipping point. And again, I don't want to make promises or act like I know everything about the legal issues. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I don't have the knowledge to speak on this with full confidence. But from what I see people say, people that I, I know have knowledge of the legal system, from what it reads to me like reading it and going through that 67-page document, going through these interviews, it does seem like there's a possibility that this is picking up a bit more steam because I thought so as well. I thought that this could easily just turn into another settlement that makes things go away. But it's looking like it's getting harder harder and harder for that every day and that is a, a step forward towards justice whatever there is to be found how deep it goes how far we can get it that is one step forward towards justice so as always we will continue to cover the situation when more news comes out more things come out comes out uh, i know this is a little uncomfortable first hour i hope i treated this situation with the care and respect it deserves. I truly and honestly, in my heart, did my best. Um, not for me. Like, you know, this is uncomfortable to talk about. We don't like it, of course. But that's not even 1% of the pain and the horrible 
circumstances that the victims have experienced. So I'm not saying that to have sympathy or anything like that. Uh, I'm just saying I really hope that I covered it as well as I can. Uh, and uh, again, if you were triggered by the mention and the talk of this and the <laughs> disturbing details that I got into, I apologize for that. Um, and I, I'm praying for everybody out there who went through something terrible like this. I mean that. And uh, like I said at the start, I'll, I'll list the numbers out again. Uh, 1-800-656-HOPE. 1-800-656-4673. That is the National Sexual Assault Hotline. And if you need help, please get it. You deserve it. Rain, R-A-I-N-N dot org. The Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. R-A-I-N-N dot org. Sakita.org, that's S-A-K-I-T-T-A dot org. Again, you deserve the help that you need. Nobody deserves to suffer. And I wish we lived in a world where there were no victims of anything like this. But unfortunately, there are, whether it's in wrestling, entertainment, anywhere. And many people that have no fame whatsoever. And if it's touched your life like it has mine, please uh, get some help to the best you can. And uh, with that said, there's no easy way to transition from all of this, but uh, I will move forward, talk a little bit about AEW, and talk a little bit about Elimination Chamber coming up again. Like I said at the start, there are many, many people, and especially wrestlers that had nothing to do with any of this guy that we had sp- that I spent the last hour talking about, and we can uh, still appreciate their work in the ring, and hopefully. With all of the things going on in the world, never mind these crimes, these horrible things, just the world itself at large, just so much bad stuff in it. And living right now is hard. Um, and hopefully you guys can get some enjoyment wherever you can get it in terms of the world of entertainment. Uh, even with the dark cloud hanging over everything, uh, hopefully we can all find some peace and happiness and joy with some things that aren't directly tainted. Uh, with this to the, to the best of our knowledge and the best we can. So with that said, I'll briefly talk about the ongoings of AEW because it's been a little while since we had any kind of show about it. You know, the thing about AEW, it's kind of a downtime because they were off for collision during the All-Star break from the NBA All-Star game, NBA All-Star game. Um, a lot of people were not happy <laughs> with how that whole thing played out <laughs> and who could blame them. You know, if you watch if you watch these games and these contests, you know, I'm a huge sports fan. And All-Star Weekend used to be, you know, 20 years ago or so. You know, that was, you know, it was really peak. Like, there was all kinds of cool stuff happening. The three-point contest was always there. And they did the thing with Steph Curry taking on Sabrina Ionescu in a wild like one-on-one challenge like NBA versus WNBA uh which was a great contest a lot of people were talking about it uh Sabrina really showed out represented for the WNBA you got to give her credit obviously Steph Curry he's just a, a completely different level from any shooter regardless of gender or league or wherever you're from that was cool but the dunk contest, I mean, the stuff, some of these stuff these guys were doing would have gotten like a four or a five. 
know, in the old days with Jason Richardson, Desmond Mason, those are my guys. Even later on with Nate Robinson, you know, Dwight Howard, I I remember that. Even, you know, obviously everyone will point to Aaron Gordon's year that he got robbed. <laughs> like, with all due respect to Zach Levine, who's awesome and I'm a big fan of. <laughs> but we all know that. You don't know ball if you don't agree that AG won that contest <laughs> in 2016, which is one of the greatest of all time. But that said, you know... Even still, even before that, there was bad years before for the dunk contest. Remember that year they had like three people at a time? <laughs> like it was the team version? That stuff sucked. You know, if you go back to the 90s, you had like, you know, Britton Berry went with the... He had, he had the jacket on. <laughs> There's been some good ones over the years with Paul George doing the lights out dunk. I remember that one. You know, that was a great one. Yeah, Blake Griffin jumping over the car. <laughs> like, the skills contest when they first started it, that was, like, a really cool thing with the point guards. I played point guard when I played, so I thought that was super cool. <laughs> like, they gave us a little something. They put it in the old NBA games on PS2, <laughs> like, with the life and all that. I thought that was, like, one of the coolest things. But now, nobody even tries. Nobody tries in the the skills contest. Three-point contest is okay. A lot of the top stars are good with that. The dunk contest, most people kind of back out the top names. And, like, Brown, like I said, I mean, the stuff he was doing might have been, like, a three in in the old days. Even ten years ago, I think that would have gotten a low rating. But everybody hated the All-Star game. They all wished that we could have had Collision instead on, even if you're the biggest AEW hater, the worst, like, okay, maybe the devil stuff was worse. Like, the worst devil episodes were probably worse than the All-Star weekend this year. But most of them were not worse. You know, vast majority of, uh, like, Dynamites and Collisions, even NXT. Like, even the worst ones you could think of. It's still better than what we got in All-Star weekend. Except for a few. There were a few that were worse. But a majority weren't. The main stuff they're doing, setting up the three-way with Joe and Hangman and Swerve. They've really done it the double turn really well with Swerve and Hangman. Hangman with the mustache. <laughs> Swerve showing babyface fire on her in the last couple of matches. Crowd's fully behind him. Joe is a fine, you know, pissed-off champion. Like the storyline of the draw and then that set up the three-way match. And they've hit on a really intriguing story plot with Hangman being more obsessed with causing Swerve to lose than necessarily him to win. You could easily see something where, like, Joe has the win on Swerve and Hangman's about to break it up, but he chooses to take the loss. It does it in a way that gives him plausible deniability. Like y'all remember at Elimination Chamber 05, uh, New Year's Revolution, where they had Batista and Orton and Triple H were in the chamber. Orton hit him with the RKO and they had Triple H in the corner bloodied and they played it up the day after 
that Triple H stood up in the corner and he could have saved Batista, but then he just slumped back down <laughs> to let Batista take the fall so he could retain the title. Like, you could easily see something like that happening and that turning into a deal if they want to continue that feud. I think the easiest course, course like the easiest, clean, cleanest path that they could take with this title, just put it on Swerve, man. He's got everything you want. <laughs> the crowd loves him. He's a main event dude. Why goof around? Like, just g- give the fans what they want. Joe is a great talker. And he's delivered more often than not in the ring. I'll give him that. But somebody like a swerve, he's a total package. You want to be the face of the company. (laughs) That could carry the title for a year and do good stuff. I just think there's a lot of good there in swerve. I just think it's the easiest path, you know. The hottest feud in AEW right now was the Young Bucks versus Sting and Darby Allen. Sting and Darby won the titles over Ricky Starks and Big Bill. A really strong match they had there. But the angle at the end was phenomenal. And I got to give commentary credit. I actually think this is kind of a flaw of AEW commentary. and Really everywhere on commentary. I think Taz and Tony are really good at lighthearted moments. And Excalibur, that brother knows his wrestling moves. He knows history. He's educated. And he lets it all come out. We talked about him. He's a little over the top. Like He's a little exasperating. He could go a little too fast, put too much too fast. But I don't think they're actually that good, usually, at getting emotional angles over. But the beating of Sting and his sons and the blood with Darby Allen, the blood on the white suits. <laughs> at the end, Excalibur had a great call. Where he was like, no matter what happens, the Young Bucks are finished. Their reputation will never recover. And I thought that was a really great call <laughs> to put over the seriousness of this angle and how... Like BS it was for the to attack Sting when he won his first title in AEW. That match will be really good, no doubt. Sting did an insane dive, even in the Ricky Starks and Big Bill match. I'm sure he'll do something even crazier against uh, Matthew and Nicholas. And I think they use these guys right too, because let's face it, they can't act, but they could do physical angles. They have an aura of just hateability to them, like how they carry themselves. That makes for really good heels. The Darby promo they cut last week was insane. <laughs> like, they had to know that you're cutting this promo to put over the the top star of WWE. I don't know why. Why? Why? What did that serve? What purpose did that serve any of this? He didn't have to say that. He just needed to say that the Bucks didn't want him there. A very reasonable criticism for these heel 
<laughs> bumbling EVPs that, that apparently they want us co- they want to convince us that the people running this con- company are morons. <laughs> um, you know, even in storyline, never mind all all the stuff back in the day of it. <laughs> now they're just turning into a storyline, which could be good. Like it could be good, but why couldn't he have just left it at that? And the delivery is fine. The promo was good, <laughs> but why did he have to mention that about? Like, only one EVP knew what he was doing, and he ain't Kenny Omega. Like, of course you're going to get a huge Cody chance. Why couldn't you just send you guys never wanted me? Why was Brandon Cutler on the first Dynamite and not me? It, easy. Like, easy heat that you just went crazy with it. It was more amusing. It's not like it ruins the feud or anything. It was just stupid. Like, like what are you doing? Like, going in there. But it, it wasn't like a big deal. Some people were making it like the, the company's ruined. We have to talk 30 minutes about it. It was silly and dumb. But the promo otherwise was mostly good. I just don't get why they needed to... I, you know, Cody Rhodes probably laughed about it. He probably was very happy with the promo. But the match is going to be great no matter what. The BCC and Lucha um, uh, Luchador's feud is so good. I'm a huge fan of CMLL. It's been so cool and exciting for me to see all these AEW fans like get to know these Luchadors from CMLL, the best Luchador doors in the whole world. I'm sorry, AAA ain't on their level. Vikingo, you know, an excellent high flyer. But these guys, they're bringing it. Echicero, especially, is the one that's gotten over. No surprise, he had the singles match with Brian, so of course, like, it's the best match. But Echicero's always been the dude. You can look up his matches versus a young Dragon Lee from about 10 years ago in Busca de, de un Idolo in Search of an Idol, one of the best tournaments there ever was in Lucha Libre, for sure. If not any company, really. Soberano was in that. He was great. Dragon Lee, Echicero. Man. Uh, Mascara Dorada looked great. Just such an innovative guy. And then even people like Esfinhe, who isn't even that good, but still... Like, people are reacting to him just by association being with the CMLL guys. Like, they've really hit on something. And the BCC guys are some of the best. BCC in Arena Mexico. Man, what a dream that is for Brian. Yuda, too, I know for a fact, is a huge Lucha fan. Uh, I've talked to him personally about this before. Uh, he's He came up as a Lucha guy. <laughs> like, he, he doesn't do it as much now. Outside of, like, the seatbelt clutch is kind of like a tricky move. But he was a lucha guy on the indies, you know, as well. He's obviously a very well-rounded performer. But he tore he toured Michinoku Pro. He wrestled a lot of these guys in the Northeast. He's gonna, you know, it's a great thing for him. And Claudio can and Moxley are just such strong performers as well. They can make anything work. Uh, but uh, Mystico's had a great job. Uh, did some d- good numbers. <laughs> from ticket sales, ratings, all that. Mystico, that's, that dude's a star. Carries himself like it. Some of my favorite stuff in AEW. They, they're also building to a triple threat with Christian, Adam Copeland, and Daniel Garcia. 
Uh, I'm not as into that as the, the world title three-way, just because it's the same thing, kind of. I like the idea of getting the title away from Christian. Let Christian and Copeland finish this in a huge match, like a big gimmick match. That's what they're best at. A crazy hardcore plunder match. Garcia would be a fine choice to try to elevate to the title's level. And the title, like the TNT title, should be the workhorse guy title, which Christian might be the best promo in all of wrestling, so I understand why they have him as a champion. But I do think that they could use a little bit more, uh, you know, week-to-week stuff with them. But long story short, I just named a bunch of stuff. Tony Storm and Deanna Perrazzo, they've put more effort into that. Now, I don't know how the match is going to turn out. I don't know if it'll be an exceptional match. I don't think it will, actually. I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful it's a good match. I don't think it'll be something that, like, changes everybody's like feelings on the women's division right now. But there's been a huge shift in the women's division. And I bet it's whenever Mercedes... Well, you know, they knew they were getting her. It wouldn't surprise me where a lot of extra effort came in. Perrazzo has been a really good signing. Always having good matches up and down. Uh, Tony Storm with the character. I'm not a huge fan of it, really. I think there's amusing parts to it (laughs) in the ring. You know, I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but uh, it should be fine. It is it is at least good. It at least has effort put into it. It has a story with the ankle tattoos. <laughs> They've given them time, and I like that. That's a great improvement. The division doesn't need five-star matches right now. It needs care and effort put into it, and they are doing that. So when Mercedes shows up at Big Business, <laughs> which is almost certainly happening... They're going to set things up perfectly for her to get the belt. And maybe, just maybe, they'll be able to have different people uh, have interesting feuds and matches with her. Willow Nightingale should be at the top of the list, uh, being in the match that she got injured in. Which, those two at the peak of their potential, finishing the match they were going to have, that could be a really (laughs) special match. And the crowd support for uh, Mercedes is going to go crazy. I don't know why they don't want to announce her. Um, I get it about the punk thing. My hot take is even that wasn't smart to me. Like, nobody's given any... Like, what... Who tuned into that? That would not have turned it, uh, would not have tuned into it if they didn't know he was going to debut. If they announced the first time in, in so many, I mean, whatever, <laughs> that CM Punk was going to show up, who was not turning in because of that? And there's a, a possibility that maybe some people who are very casual, maybe only seen WWE in their life, if they saw everybody talking about uh, Punk from the AEW account getting announced, Maybe on the commercial breaks, put them on there. I'm not saying it would have made a huge difference, but I think it would have been equal 
and possibly better, where I think the the idea that there would have been a big negative difference if they just announced him, I think is practically zero. And I feel the same about this. What do, what is the harm? Why not just announce her? Everybody, it's a big business in Boston. We know she's coming. It's obvious. The only people you're alienating are people who are not tuned in. <laughs> you know, that maybe would be snagged in if they knew Mercedes Monet, Sasha Banks is coming. What's the harm? Give me an explanation. Like, like what harm would it do? Okada? That could be his debut as well. Out of their playbook again with the Adam Cole and Brian Danielson deal. It's been said that it's, you know, heavily rumored that he's right on the cusp of joining AEW. Does he really want to be on the Boston show with with Mercedes? You'd think he would have his own show that would be dedicated to him. I get the surprise factor. And, you know, no doubt Tony Khan loves him and is going to do everything in his power to at least, at least give him a hot start. If they kind of do what I said, have um, Joe retain the title with Hangman letting it slide, I think Okada would be a hell of a first, like, well, not a first, but a next challenger for Samoa Joe. <laughs> Play up that TNA history. I think that would be kind of cool. But Mercedes coming into Boston, things look, look like they're going well so far. I still don't see an argument against announcing her, but... Uh, it should be a great moment. The fans are going to going to go crazy, and it feels like they're setting the stage now that the women's division uh, can really have some good space. I think comparing the women's divisions of AEW and WWE, and really the whole company, we've never actually done that that much on Russell Update, but someday soon, me and Nello are going to have a little bit of a debate uh, about the AEW and WWE. Um, I mentioned TNA a second ago. I'll talk about them a little bit before I finish up with EC. They fired Scott DeMore, and there's been a lot of talk about this. TNA, firing the guy who was at the face of their rebrand like a month ago. To the dismay of seemingly everyone <laughs> in the locker room. It's one of those things where, you know, I think as the fans, where we look at it one way, and the people at Anthem... They basically, they've replaced Scott DeMore with their own guys. People that they think they can control. They had a very similar uh, message that Stardom in Japan had when they fired Rossi and brought in their own guy, Okada. Not Kazuchika, but Taro Okada. They were using these buzzwords like synergy. Like, we we have brought in so-and-so to bring greater synergy to the Anthem brand of products. It was like very similar wording, and it goes to show that what that really means is that these guys are basically guys they can control. <laughs> and Demore, who knows what caused this, what set them off and made them want him out, but something must have happened. Uh, he asked one favor too many, <laughs> maybe after signing Nick Nemeth. He wanted to push further. There's been reports out that that is a big part of it. Upgrade production, sign more free agents. 
try and push and get a, a, a real TV deal, with all due respect to Axis, they own they own the channel. Like, Anthem owns it. So, it's not like they're, you can't pay yourself. That's not how it works. I wish it could. I wish I could just magically write myself a check and give myself cash. But that's not how it works. You need, uh, you know, other people to exchange it. You need to get with another network to pay you to be on their network. network. And the ad revenue they've got ain't cutting it. So this is a purely, seems like to me, a purely business decision. But obviously it pissed off a lot of people. Even to the point where Demora came back trying to buy the whole company. And they still said no. So they see something in it. Maybe it's they just see it as cheap con, you know, content for their network. And the, the locker room came out with this letter, which they were like, I won't read it word for word. But they were more or less saying that TNA is a family. Wrestling is not about balance sheets and banks accounts and ratings and blah, blah, blah. The problem is, is that to the business, to Anthem, that actually is all they care about. They don't think of anything as a family. That's true of any company. <laughs> like, no matter what it is, you know, in America, I mean, outside of maybe the Costco guy who refused to let anybody, uh, you know, make the hot dog and soda combo any any more expensive. He might be the only one that is a business owner of a big business that actually like cares about anything. Everyone else in virtually any subject or any sport or anything really mostly cares about the bottom line. And they're not going to go into the red to accomplish anything else, no matter what it is, pretty much. So I have a feeling I like the letter as a fan. I love it. It's great that that Scott was able to build. I think he deserves credit for cultivating that thing where you've had relationships with some people for 20 plus years in the wrestling business. That's that means a lot to a lot of wrestlers. And he deserves credit for cultivating that atmosphere. And the fans really bought into that as well. Unfortunately, the are the anthem they're just not buying it. I really don't think they think that way. But so we'll see what happens when it comes to Anthem and Scott DeMore. The product, as always, like, you know, even at their lowest times. Well, maybe not during the Hogan era. They were pretty awful. <laughs> like then. Things really went sideways <laughs> during that era. But even on the pop TV days, which isn't their lowest era, the, the verses or whatever they were on, that hunting network, that was the lowest time. Uh, but even then, and even on pop TV, Destination America, wherever you want to look into their resume, so to speak. They were never a bad show. Like, they always had good wrestlers. They've always been able to find <laughs> talented people uh, at the end of the day. And I think that's, uh, you know, m meaningful in its own way that they've always been able to keep that roster at a pretty decent way. I'm not saying it's all great, 
you know, at all. It's not. But they've got some good people. Uh, up to this point. Let's look at the latest Impact show, TNA. It was taped, and it just aired. We had Jordan Grace versus Savannah Evans. Both of those wrestlers are, are, are really talented. Giselle Shaw, another really talented wrestler. Great transgender representation as well. All of those guys, uh, all of those girls were really talented. All of the guys on the roster are really talented. Maybe not all of them. Frankie Kazarian and Jake something. Um, yeah, I, I, they're, you know, Kazarian, these guys are solid. Jake something, I think, does have something to him. No pun intended on that. I think he does honestly have something to him. Kazarian, a reliable veteran. Opening match, that's about where he belongs. I think you would want to push Jake more <laughs> personally if it were me. But, you know, these guys don't need mic time either. Like, the women's match, you could give those girls mic time. Giselle is a really good talker, very charismatic. Jordan Grace fits her role per- perfectly. You look at the, the World Tag Team title match, they're doing this best of three series. ABC and Grizzled Young Vets. A- Ace Austin and Chris Bay versus James Drake and Zach Gibson. I'm a big fan of ABC. I think they're two of the top talents they do have in that company. GYV, I'm not as in love with, but they're okay. Like they're they're perfectly fine to, to have on the roster. ABC, I think, has a lot of talent. Very charismatic, both of them. Great, you know, great style together. Great aesthetic. Great fit. GYV, perfectly good hands to have on the the roster. I think this series is good for them as well as the ABC team. Machine Guns. Love them, will always love them, no matter what. And they're still good. Saban and Mustafa Ali, that's a great matchup for Ali. I've said it before, I don't love Ali's president gimmick or politician deal he's got going on. <laughs> like that, that really doesn't move me at all, actually. But I'm a fan of the guy. Like the talent himself is like really great in the ring. And I think he's got great promos, but I just, I don't like... In this gimmick, it's not it's not real, you know. It, it's not well done and not even that entertaining. You know, it just feels like somebody throwing a curveball uh, on the you know once they're out of WWE. I hope his passion hasn't gone away. But uh, if anyone's going to bring it in, him and Saban are, are going to have a hell of a match for sure. There's no doubt about that. Crazy Steven Rhino, blah. That TNA always has these kind of guys there to take up spots of the show, but you know, digital media title, it doesn't really mean that much. Danny Luna and Killer Kelly, love them both. Killer Kelly and Masha, great team. Danny Luna, I praised her. Jody Thread as well. <laughs> both of these people. We talked good about them on our draft show. Months ago. So it's not like I'm just saying this out of the blue. We talked good about them. And I see a lot in Danny Luna. I see a, a ton in Killer Kelly. And uh, hopefully they can do some more things with all of them. Oh, look, look at the women's division on the show. Seven women. 
that we talked about all of them very talented. Savannah Evans, a great, unique style, matched up great against Jordan Grace. Moose versus Kushida main event. Kushida was a good signing, uh, you know, to have Moose. You know, he had he had a good run at one point where he was a dude. It feels like he's kind of lost some of his luster. I don't know if it's a motivation deal, but you know, I I am not that big of a fan of his these days. But I can understand why you have him. You know, very explosive guy, great size, great look, powerful dude. I get it, but. I think he's really dropped off a little bit the last couple of years, to be honest with you, in the ring. Uh, Kushida, on the the back end of his career as well, as well, hitting 40 years old, you know, about to turn 41 in another couple of months. Like, he's not where he was eight, nine years ago. But still, it's a great talent to have on your roster for an X-Division type of guy. So, you know, we see a lot of the good matches here. Like, a lot of good talent, even though the matches weren't that great. Uh, the tag match has a 7.28 rating on cage match. But just on this show alone, there's a lot of people that weren't on the show. The Machine Guns weren't on the show, but I mentioned them great. <laughs> Nick Nimitz, one of their guys, they're, they're pushing a lot as a TNA dude. Ali, great talent. We love him. You know, you've got people on here. Uh, you know, if you look at the whole roster, that's even, you know, speedball. We didn't even, you know, talk about him. One of the guys that gets the most love in terms of outside of TNA. So yeah, TNA is doing some things. Um, Scott DeBoer out. It's pissed a lot of the locker room off. And I, I hope that they listen. I, I truly do. I'm skeptical that it will happen, however. But that's TNA. Let's close this thing up. Got some Elimination Chamber to talk about. I'll run through the card briefly. Nello sent in his predictions as well. Let's see what we can do here. WWE Elimination Chamber 2024. From Perth, Australia. Not Adelaide, where my memories go to when it comes to the wonderful country of Australia. Shout out to all the Australian listeners out there. Got a lot of love for you guys, as always. Uh, some really great people from there. I, honestly, like, pretty much everybody I know from Australia kicks ass, <laughs> to be honest with you, that, that I know personally. So, got a lot of love for you guys out there. I will say they've done an exceptionally poor job in multiple ways, but mainly in terms of getting Australians actually on the show. Outside of Rhea Ripley, they had so many options. You had Bronson Reed. You had Indy Hartwell. Grayson Waller, not in a match on this show. He has. They gave him a segment, <laughs> at least to talk about stuff. And it will probably be a main event style segment, you know, hanging around with Cody uh, and Seth, obviously. That might actually lead to a match. You could easily see them trash talking and then it's Cody versus Grayson. Although they might not want to put those guys in a position to where, like Grayson, they're so starved for a hometown hero that they rally behind him. Or maybe it's all a secret, <laughs> secret plan by The Rock. <laughs> like, get Cody booed. 
before WrestleMania, so he could <laughs> politic his way into winning the title after all somehow <laughs> with all of that. But no, I I wish that they had done more with the you know they have people from Australia on this roster, and they passed them all up. You know, like I get it. Tiffany Stratton, who I'm a big fan of. Don't get me wrong. Great future, one of the top talents with the most upside on the whole roster. Did you need her this year? You couldn't have given us a hometown hero? The men, I think you could have cut out one of these guys and put in either Grayson Waller or Bronson Reed. Without any any kind of issue. You know. Outside of Drew. And probably Orton. Any of the other four could have been exchanged. <laughs> like just have them do a screw job finish to get in the match. Or you could have Reed splash somebody. That's what I would have done. Just put Reed in the match. Tiffany has way higher upside than Indy. I get it. So if you want to keep her in the match, I'm good with that. Replace LA Knight with Reed or maybe even KO. Have him in splash. Like get that big elimination spot where he hits the tsunami on like on somebody. The crowd will love it. They'll go crazy and pop big for it. Why? And why not? You've got six guys in the match. Like somebody could take a night off. Take Logan Paul out of the match and have him defend the title against somebody. You could easily do something where, you know, have Logan Paul defend the title against somebody else. It could be literally anybody else, <laughs> like any babyface. I think an interesting story would have been if Sammy had challenged him with his story right now being all about wanting to be a champion. Have him go for it. You could tee stuff with him and KO on the same side again. Get the crowd really riled up. The crowd would love that. And then you could have Logan, you know, steal it. You know, steal the title once again and build to Logan and KO's WrestleMania match. You didn't need him in the chamber, in my opinion. And you've only got four matches on this card. I mean, what? It's a really weird card, to say the least. And I do think that the Grayson segment will lead to something. It might be, maybe, you know. I don't think Seth's cleared yet, so I don't think you can even do a tag match. Maybe that could be something <laughs> like turn Bronson Reed babyface. Do a tag match with Theory and Waller together and kind of rush off Seth. You give them the heat. And it looks like right when they're about to take out Cody, Bronson comes out and wrecks house pretty much. And you can set up a tag match right on the spot. You're not doing anything with Reed anyway. Why not? Why not give him a moment? Have him hit the tsunami on Theory and boom. The same same thing is accomplished, honestly, if they, if they just did that. So <laughs> I guess we should let it see how it plays out. First match listed on the show, the WWE Tag Team titles, the Judgment Day. Finn Balor and Damian Priest, they take on the New Catch Republic. Uh, okay. Don't they already have a, ca- like, no-quarter catch club in in, in NXT? What, what is this? I also don't know if I would call either of these guys catch wrestlers either, to be honest with you. At least in the WWE, their styles, but whatever. <laughs> like, it's fine. 
really just British strong style reformed. <laughs> like here, pretty much. Um, Dunn and Bate. It's good that they've rebranded Dunn back to his, his real name. Bringing back a vintage team from the late 2000s of the British scene that I hated so much. <laughs> uh, but honestly, Dunn was like the one that I actually liked. <laughs> and Bate had a ton of upside. It has not been realized in NXT, I'll tell you that right now. But still, this is a way better team to go against Judgment Day than DIY, who are like the coldest baby faces of all time on Raw. So I am happy that they're doing that. I do think the Judgment Day will win, though. I hope this tag team deal ends to get on a real tag team, and I do not mean the Miz and R-Truth. But with how over he is, they it's like they have to do something with him. And this, and this is the most logical thing they could do. Give Truth the tag titles with goofy-ass Miz. It, uh, for a team that was big 13 years ago. <laughs> and shouldn't have been. Although R-Truth does... R-Truth deserves a spot at WrestleMania. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know if this is the best use of them. Uh, especially him. I think he would have been a good choice, actually. I know this is going to sound crazy. <laughs> but R-Truth in the chamber... You could have perfectly done... Remember when Santino was in the chamber and they had Brian and they came down to those two as the last two? And it, this match could have come down to Drew and R-Truth and really cemented Drew's character like as the heel thing that they're doing. which They're doing a good job with it. I was a much bigger fan of his character. His performances are all good. But I think his character was way more interesting when he was just like a full tweener type of guy. And really more of a babyface, like for a little while, even though he was doing heel stuff to certain people. Uh, you know, he had very logical reasons for everything. And I thought he was a really interesting and great character and unique one as well. Like they've really zoned in on the heel stuff the last couple of weeks, going after Sami Zayn, going after Cody, being more angry. I don't need to see angry Drew. I, I want the Drew that is just jovial. <laughs> and they haven't completely rid him of that. But we need less of the angry, overacting Drew, which I don't think comes across as very realistic at all. But we'll see. Like I said, coming down to Drew and our truth in the chamber... Have Drew destroy Truth at the end and win the match. Go too far. He has plausible deniability on Raw. Like, you know, he loved Truth, but he had to win the title. You know, he has to get the title. So, like, who could blame me? You know, remember when he did the poll to the crowd? That was a great segment. Like, wanting revenge. Now they have him kind of, like, take the bloodline's help. I think that really hurts his character, in my opinion. Even though I get it, he's a heel, he's supposed to be a hypocrite. I just don't think that's as interesting as what they were doing before. But anyway, well, I went on a tangent. The Judgment Day, these guys are completely ice cold without R-Truth. I don't see anything in them. But I think they're going to keep this title rank going to get to the R-Truth match at WrestleMania. Nello agrees. He also picked Finn and Priest. I wouldn't hate it, because... Uh, Dunn and Bate are at least a real tag team if they want to solidify the division. Finn and P Priest, they're in the group. They've been tag champions for a long time now, but they still don't feel like a real team to me. 
and they're not interesting at all. The best they could do is when Priest kind of fused with Ripley a little bit, uh, who's really taking a back seat lately. I mean, even with Dominic, they, her and Dominic haven't really been doing a lot lately. I don't know what the deal is with that. The only thing I think of is that they know she's going to be the top babyface on this show. The crowd are going to lose their you-know-what on this match. And they don't want her involved with Dominic at all to muddy those waters. After this show, they might want Becky to be the babyface more in the WrestleMania match. So, uh, I guess I just spoiled one of of my predictions. (laughs) So, they might put them back together more afterwards. Uh, But we both picked Judgment Day to win the tag titles and retain them. We have the Women's Elimination Chamber. Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Tiffany Stratton, Naomi, and Raquel Rodriguez, who just returned on Monday, winning the Battle Royal. And got a great pop from the crowd. They really liked her. (laughs) It's Southern Cali there. (laughs) And um, they did the traditional, all six people come out one after the other to cut promos to say why they're going to (laughs) win. Deal. I think Becky is the obvious choice. She all but said that in her promo, like, one way or the other, you know it's going to come down to me and Ripley. Like, we're going to have to face off at some point. The SmackDown people, uh, Bianca, Naomi, and Stratton. Bianca, I think, would be great if they hadn't protected Becky and Ripley so much. Uh, and on SmackDown, I think she's a little flat not being the champion. She hasn't really been doing anything of note. <laughs> Getting a fresh start wouldn't be the worst thing at all for her. And I love Bianca as a talent. She's got everything you want. The look is amazing. The promos are great. In ring, she's one of the best. She has everything you want to be a star. I thought they would really tease something with her and Jade after the Rumble, but Jade has been, you know, persona non grata on these shows. They must really not have a lot of confidence in her, but I thought she did great in the Rumble. I mean, she was the one who got probably the most. She gained the most in the Royal Rumble and looked incredible with what they asked her to do. This is going to require more, obviously, this chamber, the rumble. Yeah, you could get away with whatever limitations she may have. But, I mean, would it be the worst thing in the world? I think, you know, a great spot for her. She could have come in, let's say she came in last, and within, like, 10 seconds eliminated Bianca to set up their match at WrestleMania. Bianca could start at number one, she comes in last, eliminates her right away with some big, cool-ass power move, and she wins. Uh, you know, she would have to take a fall, and they probably don't want her to lose either. And I get that. But, and you're not going to put her against Ripley. Although I think, like, for a match, a headlining match, I think that would be at least something interesting. Becky Ripley, though, it's been built for so long, I think she's like a clear favorite. I don't think any of the other four have a chance. They've tried with Liv Morgan. But yeah, they were tag champions. 
but it's not like their their reign really meant all that much. I mean, she did dress up like Catwoman that year at WrestleMania, which I'd be fair play to that. That's an, an all time great moment, but that's not really that emotional. It's not like it means that much. Like that's just my opinion on that. I think it's kind of overrated. They focus too much time on it, in my opinion. I might have focused too much time on this match. We all have the same predictions. Long story short, me and Nello. Um, women's world title, Ripley versus Nia Jax. Ripley's winning this. I don't even think there's any doubt. They've done a great job with Jax as a character. Even in the Rumble, again, she was a great foil and really put over Jade, even though they kind of uh, did have done nothing with her since. It wouldn't surprise me if this was the actual main event on the show. Ripley's pop is going to be so big here. The only Australian. Um, and she's going to get the win. Like, long story short. Barring something totally insane happening. The men's match for the Elimination Chamber. Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, Bobby Lashley, LA, LA Knight, Kevin Owens, and Logan Paul. Logan Paul, he's kind of like the wild card guy here. Because you know they're going to want to protect him. But to me, this is Drew's match to lose. I don't think any of the other guys make sense at all going after Seth. I mean, Logan Paul honestly might be the second best choice in terms of history. I don't understand why they had Sami Zayn cut that promo on Raw saying basically, yeah, I've got to pull back on this Drew deal. Like, like I don't want to fight him no more. What? What? That was like your big wrench that you could argue for this match, that Drew would fight face Sammy at WrestleMania, which would be totally believable. And you could slide in Logan Paul, champion versus champion. Going after Seth, I could, I wouldn't like that. I think Logan Paul is kind of overrated. Like, whatever you think about it personally. Like, I Nello has really broken him down great, uh, what I think of him. He obviously has great athletic ability, And does do some cool stuff. But as an overall wrestler, I think people go a little overboard with him. Uh, the other ones, I just don't see any reason to face Seth, to be honest with you. Like, I don't see any reason at all for for any of the other four. And I would say Logan Paul would be a, tr- a dramatic upset if he were to win over Drew. I think this is Drew's to win, and so is Nello. Uh, so kind of a filler show. <laughs> Not that dissimilar from Vengeance Day <laughs> that me and Cheyenne went to. If you want to listen to that again, but I mean, the chamber is a spectacle. They could have used more local talent. They could have used more, at least another match, but I also don't mind it. Just like the rumble, these matches are going to go super long. You know, if you, if you're just going to put a filler match in, what good does it serve? Really? This segment with Cody and Seth will probably serve that filler purpose, and they might get a match out of that too as well. Still like my idea of Bronson Reed turning babyface and coming to, to Cody's aid to replace Seth there and then squashing Austin Theory. Uh, any plan that involves uh, average Austin getting squashed is always a good one. So we have to consider that. Just a, a whole home show to me taking place at 5 a.m. Eastern in America. I mean, let's give it up for the the people there live, getting a show at their own time. That's going to be really cool for them. 
But it's going to be interesting. This, this is as dramatic of a showtime as you could have, pretty much. Even compared to Saudi Arabia or when they were in the UK. When they're in Germany, when they're in France. This is like the whole other side. So we'll see how people take to that. I totally think there are going to be some people that tune in at 7 p.m. Uh, Central Time. That's where I'm at. In the, I'm from Memphis, so I'm in the Central Time Zone. But Or 8 Eastern. They're going to tune in their regular time expecting this show to start. And they'll finally realize, oh crap, of course, it was in Australia. It's in the morning time. So, yeah. But I think that, I think that's about it for this episode. Uh, the first hour hour was very heavy. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, I wanted to give the best coverage we could of that. And hopefully uh, it was worthwhile somewhat to at least get you caught up if you weren't familiar with it. And if not, like I said, if you have, you know, if you are triggered by such a thing, which is nothing wrong with that, just skipping ahead to the second hour. And uh, hopefully you had some fun listening to that part as well. You know, we ended on a, a good little note. There's no real differences between me and Nello, so the contest is ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. If he were on live, if he were on this show doing the preview, he would have tried to pick somebody crazy. <laughs> um, just to just to give us something different to talk about. But yeah, we're going to do a review show on Elimination Chamber. Uh, hopefully it turns out to be a great show. It wows me, overcomes my low expectations, and a lot of good comes from it. But we'll see what happens. Uh, but that, until then... Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Follow us on X, Wrestle Update X on X, Wrestle Update IG on Instagram, on Yellow Five O's on X, Viva underscore Zero on X, Eastern Lariat if you like Japanese wrestling, Lucha Talk. We're gonna have a new episode of that very soon. Uh, if you want to talk about Lucha Libre, um, hopefully everybody had some great times, great Valentine's Day. Uh, and end the month strong. Let's get some positivity going for everybody out there. Uh, always love all the listeners. Thank you guys so much. The Woo Crew loves you. I love you. And until next time, this has been your Wrestle Update.